Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. What is up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Mailbag Friday, the people's holiday. I can say that again instead of quarantine, uh, thankfully. But a uh, lot to get to today. A pretty weak Mailbag Friday, though, not to scold the listener, but not a whole lot of questions. But that's okay, because uh, we might have to change this to the Million Dollar Idea Report, because we have the return of Greg the Meat Sharp today, and buddy, we hatched an idea. Uh, ourself, like ourself, I didn't get to hear the idea. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm about to surprise you with this. So ourself as in collective myself, you, the listenership on this podcast, uh, we're going to get into the horse racing game. We're going to go joint, uh, jointly in on a horse with Greg and LBs. Uh, I casually have you down for a conservatively $80,000 pledge. It costs about $300,000 to buy a horse, but, uh, that is what we're going to do. But we're going to use, we're going to take the money that Greg has made us uh, this weekend with the UFC cards. I just had him randomly uh, gamble on UFC, and I don't think he knew very many of them. But uh, once he goes 4 0 in that, we're going to take that and buy a horse. Thoughts? Dude, I'm in. They're so profitable. Like Sean Payton's horse won like 500K. I think it was the weekend that he caught the coronavirus. But uh, yeah, there's money to be made in horses. Yeah, uh, and so Greg was Greg was taking the lead on this. He was explaining uh, he was explaining kind of how it worked, uh, just buying one. He basically said it was kind of a guessing game, like three hundred to four hundred thousand just for the horse. Like you can't train it, uh, but we got plenty of meat to feed it. That's for sure. You'll hear Greg talk about. There's no meat shortage at LVs, so uh, maybe we could buy a horse and feed it horse. See, I, I don't know. Maybe get more aggressive. I mean, I don't know. I mean. I guess we don't need to be aggressive. We just need it to be fast. I don't know. Could, do horses take steroids? Is that a thing? Do they dope horses? Yeah, they do. Uh, there was actually a scandal recently. Let me tell you about it. I saved it. I was going to put it in the show yesterday, but it wasn't like a high-profile race that the, the horse got caught in. But still, it was uh, a horse doping scandal. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, the horse is called Charlton. Charlton, okay. a Belmont Stakes contender, tested positive for a banned substance, and now the New York Times is asking me to uh, log into my non-existent account. So that's about all you get. Okay, so it was uh, a recent uh, race in Arkansas where the horse tested for a banned substance. So there you go. Nice. So. Once we buy this horse, I guess we can deal with the steroids later, but we got to get the horse first. So we need Greg to go 4-0 on these fights that he picked that you'll hear coming up in a second, and then we need to pull the money together and uh, buy the horse. He also has a completely scientific tip on betting on horse racing, uh, and it has to do with the color of the horse. So uh, stay tuned for that. But yeah, Greg... That can get problematic pretty quick. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) <laughs> it's a uh, it's a pretty neutral pretty neutral observation but greg says if x colored horse uh, if there's an x colored horse in the race he's betting on it every time he says it's a science and who are we to question greg at this point given his uh track record on the nfl if he goes four and in these ufc fights this weekend then i genuinely might just start uh, pestering him every single day 
asking him for picks because that would be just absurd because it's a card that I've never heard anyone on. But we've got a decent bit to get to today. Uh, we'll take your mailbag Friday questions. Uh, I'll excuse the terrible uh the terrible number of Mailbag Friday questions. We had a couple good weeks in a row, but please send us Mailbag questions. We need them. But uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into probably some Fabian Lovett stuff and his seems like impending transfer to Ole Miss. Uh, we, there's, baseball's running out of time. We'll get to that. I guess we'll start with the questions and then kind of see where that goes. But uh, I'd like to get into some of that yeah. Max Scherzer stuff as well that we didn't really end up spending a bunch of time on on the radio yesterday. But uh, anyway, let's uh, let's see. Lambert's here's our first question. Lambert's giant throat rolls or Texas Roadhouse rolls with their cinnamon butter? I've only had the latter, so I'm going to go with that. What is Lambert's? I have no idea. I feel like I'm missing yeah. something. Lambert's. <laughs> so Texas Roadhouse is one of those classic like chain places where you can get you know all kinds of food, cheap steak or whatever. And uh, they have really good rolls. So apparently, Lambert's, Lambert's Cafe is a U.S. restaurant chain with locations in Alabama and Missouri. So, no, I've, I've never heard of it nor had it. Okay, so who would? Uh, um, we're gonna go with Texas Roadhouse on that one. Who would win in a push-up battle? Uh, oh God, Yancey or just about any other functional human being? I don't know. I haven't done push-ups since. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a question! Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Um, I'm just going to say uh, him because I haven't done push-ups in a while. I think I could get to 10, I think. Um, but, yeah, I haven't really – not I big do them, like, once a week and pretend like I'm working out. Okay. I haven't been huge in the push-up game since uh, my seventh-grade football coach start, stopped yelling at me and I quit. Um, so, yeah, ever since my football days are over, not a big push-up guy. I know that's probably shocking by this frame, but, yeah, so uh, not a huge push-up guy. Um, let's see. All these questions are dumb this week. We don't have any good legitimate ones, but anyway, I'm giving them a pass, not complaining. Uh, would hate yeah, that rather have out there, man. Yeah. Like what the hell is that? Uh, what, like would hate, I'd rather have a root canal or learn how to drive a stick. I'm just going to be vehemently opposed to driving a stick. So I'm going to go to the contrarian and say, I'd rather have a root canal just because people made such a big deal about not driving stick shift, which I don't even see how that that's a big a deal. It used to be. I mean, old people like Richard, and you've got to remember, he's an old ass. Um, he's very old. It, it used to be a lot more common, quite frankly. Just there were more manual shift vehicles out there, and there's just not so much anymore. And it used to be one of those things where, like, everybody should know how to swim. Uh, I mean, just in case they need to. Um, and it used to be one of those things where everybody should know how to drive a stick just in case there's an emergency situation and they've got to be able to drive one. They don't really, they're not really out there anymore as much as they used to be for old people like Richard. So, um, it's not as necessary to know how to do like still everybody should know how to swim. You don't need to know how to drive a stick anymore. I'll take your word for it because I've never even entertained the idea. But yeah, Richard loves the nostalgia. But because oh, he's old, and that's what old people do. That is very true. Uh, let's see. Jason has a couple. Oh, uh, this is actually an interesting question. Who does it benefit to be perpetual crybabies reading regarding Tamper Bait twenty twenty one? The homers writing that nonsense. Two, the homers reading it, and three, what can everyone else do about it? 
<laughs> I, I don't a really know. good question. Just uh, the your, answer I, to the, the first one is uh, who does it benefit? The people that um, quite literally profit off of um, Ole Miss bad. And so when there was kind of a lull in that, when Matt Luke was very uh, unassuming, unintimidating, wasn't recruiting at a high level, wasn't beating you really, um, there, there was nothing about Ole Miss bad that you could sell. But now they hire Lane Kiffin, who's got kind of a sketchy pass, and then suddenly you have a couple players wanting to transfer, and boom, Ole Miss bad becomes profitable again. There is a small sect of probably every fan base, but there's a small sect of Mississippi State fans that want to hear nothing but Ole Miss is morally corrupt, Mississippi State is um, just down-to-earth, just good old boys, just do, doing no wrong, and people want to hear that, and that sells. And so stroking those flames quite literally is profitable for some people, and so that's why they do it. Yeah, I think you just hit on most of that there. Uh, the fact that it is a very much smaller, it's a very loud vocal minority on Twitter, but a very actually small group of people. Uh, I mean, the numbers yes. reflect that. But, you know, that <laughs> who has time for facts and stuff? It's a very small niche group of people and uh, not exactly as large or big a deal as, as you would think, as they think they are, certainly, or as you might think. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you have it on both sides, but I generally think most people are rational people that use their brains. And that's the answer to the third question of this, what should everyone else do about it? Just use your brain. What's the most rational thing? Like, critically think. Take the information that you have and critically think. And that'll help you sift through most of the bullshit. And so, yeah, I mean, kind of take take everything with a grain of salt. Think and uh, think for yourself, and not just be engaged in groupthink. But yeah, the the there's like four or five different uh, like arguments or points made in sporting debates to where I just won't engage with the other person uh, that because it's just so painfully stupid. And it's one recruiting moral high ground, saying X school does it the right way. And the other school is um, corrupt and cheats, and it's like, okay, I can't just have a conversation with you. If that, I, 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 sometimes it, it, like, I have trouble like believing that other people actually believe that. Like, I, like, whenever someone says like X school cheats and like Y school does not does it the right way, I'm just like, there's no way you actually believe that. But yeah, uh, just on the chance that you do, I'm not engaging any further. The second one is when you're arguing about uh, quarterbacks and the competency of a quarterback, and you bring the quicker you bring up team captain, uh, the weaker your argument is. Because if you're arguing that a quarterback's a team captain, like no shit, Sherlock, like it would be a concern if he wasn't. So like team captain in a quarterback debate, and then uh, Olympic gold medals in the debate about it. Who's a better basketball player? Those three things. I'm just not going to engage with you because you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I strong agree there. Um, I think people do it intentionally. I I'm with you in the, the amount of people, the, and it's every fan base, but just for the sake of this conversation, because of what have ha what has happened, it is about Mississippi state today. the, the message boards and Twitter will tell you uh, a lot of things that just simply aren't true. Like you said, it is a very, very, very small vocal minority minority of people that for some reason are given such consideration by people. I, I'm so glad we don't do that. Like we don't let message boards and social media gauge what we do. Like, 
there was a, a handful of things posted about Richard and I last week on Mississippi State message boards because, and I know that because another coworker of ours sent some screenshots uh, to me. And how did I avoid the fray on that? I don't know. And congrats <laughs> to you. It's mostly because I said what I said about AJ Brown, and they just they can't like put the two things together. Like I said, I think it was last time we recorded. Um, you would have been dumb not to do that. Uh, but it, that led to some some nasty things said on Mississippi State message boards. But it's so fun. Um, the majority of the listeners to our show and like the the people that I encounter, uh, whether it be like random people I run into that somehow like recognize me or, or put it together who I am, or like I've got a neighbor down the street that's a Mississippi State fan that listens to to all six of my shows every week. And those kind of when you talk to the real people like in the street. They don't think that way. Like my neighbor down the street, huge Mississippi State fan, flag on his mailbox. He's always, always wearing maroon. Always. Like every single day of his life, he is a Mississippi State freaking bulldog. And he's not even mad about the guys transferring. He's like, why would I want them to stay if they want to go? I, mean, I don't care. He's not even mad about it. Like it, so I think that guy is more normal because like he's got a he's got a wife, he's got kids, he's got a house and a job. And so he doesn't have time or or patience to give a shit about what a 19 year old does with his college choices. That's that is our demographic. That is the majority of our listeners and the consumers of our content and the consumers of most content is my neighbor down the street and not dumbass on the message board. That is the guy that we're after, and that is the majority, is my neighbor down the street. Yeah, and the measures of success uh, speak for themselves on that. Like, yep. <laughs> you can't really argue with the results despite what some wants you to believe. But, uh, yeah, strong agree there. But, yeah, I just tend to think most people are rational. I also don't check message boards. I don't really, like, like I get don't sick. Do it. Okay. It, it's the lowest common <laughs> denominator care. of people. Don't do it. It's, it's well, terrible. Well, that and then occasionally if I pop up on there, someone will send it to me. Like, I don't want to look at that shit. Like, what do I care if, you know, you know, butthole Reb 68 does not like what I said on there? Like, I don't know him. I'm never going to talk to that guy. He doesn't matter. Like, what, 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 what do I stand to gain or lose from knowing that guy's opinion of me? I just don't care. So, anyway, that was our you rant for the day. That, yeah, there's your rant for the day. You just hope that companies – and I was talking to my wife about this last night, about how there are so many – like companies and stuff that will use Twitter reaction to gauge decisions they make. And that's always dangerous. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, just generally that's a terrible business practice, but so that was uh, Jason stoking the egg bowl, Twitter uh, flames, <laughs> flames today. Appreciate the question though. Um, I think that was the last mail. No, no, that was definitely not the last mail back question we have. I ignored uh, regular listener Todd's questions last week by complete accident. So I'm actually going to hit his questions from last week and this week as well. What other local courses besides the university course are worth playing? I like Mallard Point, the state park course. Kirkwood and Holly Springs is okay. But that is actually one of the things that I uh, am not a huge fan of in terms of North Mississippi is we kind of, uh, at least around the Oxford area, I shouldn't I shouldn't generalize North Mississippi because Olive Branch has a couple. There's not a lot of like co- – like courses you can go play like the options are fairly limited it's basically university mallard point and if you're really feeling it go drive up to kirkwood otherwise you're looking at a drive to olive branch i wish there were more courses around here um but those two are mallard point is a cool layout it's kept up in generally good shape same with kirkwood so i like those two but generally just uh 
just not a lot of options. I wish there were more options of public courses up here, but that's kind of just the way golf's going in general. The second, uh, do you have anything to add there? Was there was that different in your time? I imagine it was about the same when you. No, it was the exact same. Um, we would go out to Mallard Point because we could spend twenty bucks and get smashed out there, and there'd be very few, if any, people on the course. It was actually really nice, um, and not a bad layout either. Like no, for for it, what you were it, paying for. Absolutely, and it's kept up decently well. It's cool. I like Mallard Point. I'm a big Mallard Point stand. Yeah. Um, didn't play the university course much just because it was so expensive. I mean, it was like 70 bucks uh, to play around out there with a cart. And so we were like, let's just drive out to Sardis, pay less than half that, and not have to worry about anything. Um, I think Dogwoods in Grenada, I've, I've played in the past. Um, good course. So- I liked it. So that's a good one. I didn't think about that. So I was, uh, I've been, I actually had a beer after work yesterday with a buddy of mine from Grenada. And apparently that course has kind of gone by the wayside in terms, which you hate to hear. Cause I played it a couple of times in high school and it was great. Like I loved it. It was awesome. And he was telling me it used to be more popular than the country club there, but apparently hit is kind of, uh, they've kind of let that place go a little bit. Uh, but again, that's just word of mouth. I hope that's not the case, but that's what I've heard. But I haven't been there in like eight or nine years, but, uh, that was another good one. I really like that course. That's a good call. Dogwoods. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done I haven't better played on... much around here, so for the even the Jackson area, I can't add a whole lot of input myself. There's not. I mean, it's out like I mean for a while. Uh, Randy Watkins bought uh, the Randy Watkins bought group, golf group bought Lafleur's Bluff, the little nine hole course, and kept it in decent shape. I don't know. I mean, kept it in much better shape than it was. I don't know what that's like now. You got Patrick Farms. Uh, out in Rankin, you've got Castlewoods. I'm sure I'm missing a couple, but I don't know um, a lot of public options. So Randy there. Watkins, I guess they're not uh, public in that sense, but uh, I've been on Caroline, which is what they own, and I really enjoyed around there. They've, they've got a couple holes, Lakeside as well, which are nice, um, but I think that's that's semi-private. I don't think you can just walk up and get a tea time there. Um the Refuge, I really enjoyed, and they're getting a oh, big one. That's renovation. a good one. I like uh, Refuge. They've been closed down for like almost two years now. Uh, some huge hotel uh, bought the property, and they're putting some kind of like convention center there and redoing the golf course. And I, I drove by a couple weeks ago, and it didn't look like it was done, but they are um, supposedly building a, a huge convention center and hotel on the property and are redoing the golf course um, and making it much nicer because it's like Marriott or something bought the the whole property uh, to do conventions there right by the airport. Oh, that's kind of fascinating. I didn't know that. We played a lot of high school golf tournaments at the Refuge, but uh, like that course, but it's not like your typical track. Like you hit a lot of irons off tees, very short, very tight. Um, but that's interesting. It's ke- it was Kelly's kept up well when we were around there. The second part of his question is, have you played Mossy Oak yet? Yes, I went and played it twice in a scramble, and uh, it's awesome. I mean, it is every bit like the 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 hype is real on that. Uh, but I mean, both those courses, Waverly and Mossy Oak, are awesome. But yeah, Mossy Oak is uh, fantastic. You almost don't feel like you're in Mississippi playing it. It's crazy. It looked good when I when I drove by. I've yet to play it. Uh, the Refuge was bought by Sheridan. So okay. Sheridan is building a, a huge hotel there. It's a $50 million project, a 200-room hotel, a 54,000-square-foot conference center. Um, Good God. They are building a lake-style pool. 
uh, or a resort style pool and there's going to be a 15 acre lake with walking paths and whatnot. Um, let's see outdoor weddings and functions, a spa, a culinary school, um, the white tablecloth restaurant overlooking the lake and the golf course. Um, let's see. Okay. Here's a great idea. So refuge, if you've ever been played out there, the driving range is on the water. Like they have the balls that float and you hit them out in the water. And so if they're building a lake type pool, why not combine the two and have people swimming out there and then hitting the driving <laughs> range as well? And it's like a game of roulette. You wouldn't need those yardage markers per se, although it's a moving target, but have people just enjoying the resort while also getting rained on by golf balls. That could be fun. <laughs> Just combining two ideas there. If anyone listening that's building that thing, uh, you're welcome. That's that's a million-dollar idea there. We got all kinds of golf questions today. Here's one from Todd Hughes. Top five golf courses you'd play and top five you'd like to play. Um, well, the former list is probably not that impressive. Uh, but, I mean, you're talking top five I'd like to play. Uh, Cypress Point, uh, any of the Pinehurst, of course, Augusta National, Pebble Beach, and hmm. I'd like to play Seminole. I think that cracks the top five. There's probably some recency bias from it being on television the other day, but there's definitely five right there. Looked incredible. Uh, by the way, the Refuge Fall of uh, this year, they expect to, to be open for whatever that's worth. We'll um, have to go check that out. I, I don't have a, a great list of courses that I've played that'll like jump off the page at you. Like I played Harbortown. Uh, that's a really enjoyable round, really cool course, and, and a great that's vacation a area. That's nice. Uh, played Shoal Creek in Birmingham. Uh, they've had a couple majors there. I, they still play the what is it? The Regions Tradition uh, Champions yeah. Tour event there. Played that. Um, got to play Old Waverly uh, relatively recently. They've hosted a couple of. Uh, U.S. Amateurs and what, a Women's U.S. Open? Um, yeah, 99. As far as notable courses, I think that might be it. I mean, I've played a course that the Web Tour goes on, but it, it's not like that makes it exclusive. Um, I've played all of the Cliffs properties, and those are all exceptional, if you've ever heard of them. Uh, they're worth a Google just to look at the property. Um Mine's not that exceptional either. I mean, I've done Waverly. I've done TPC San Antonio where they play the Valero. The Valero. I've done – what else have I played? Like beach courses. I mean, Kiva Dunes, uh, Camp Creek and uh, down in Florida. Um, unless I'm missing something. I played Chateau Whistler, which is a resort course in Canada. It was super cool, but like that's not standing out to anyone that hasn't been there and doesn't already know it. Golf Club of Tennessee is pretty cool and right outside of Nashville and Bellmead Country Club. But yeah, my list of courses is not that uh is not that uh not that great. Uh I'm gonna have to uh once I hit the lottery, that'll change. I'm just gonna go play like the greatest courses in the world and never have to work again. Or maybe once in a while buy we buy this horse as a podcast and uh and never have to work again when that thing makes us millions of dollars. The uh, other part of his question, do you prefer bent grass or Bermuda greens? I've only played bent grass a handful of times. Uh, I, I don't think this is the case anymore, but uh, the Dancing Rabbit is two 18-hole courses, the Oaks and the Azalea. And the Azalea, if I'm not mistaken, 
used to be bent grass and the oaks was bermuda and when you'd play junior tournaments there it was fascinating because you'd play a bent grass course one day and bermuda the next but i, I want to say that's been changed since but bermuda was very soft and like your feet sunk in the ground all, like it felt it almost felt like you were like walking on a sponge. It was pretty crazy, uh, but not a ton of experience on bent grass greens because you don't see them a bunch down here. Uh, is it different in South Carolina? Uh, it's real. It's, it's about the same. I mean, you'll get more of it there just because where I grew up, you are closer to the mountains, and so it doesn't get as brutally hot for as long around here. Um, but it's about the same. whole lot of Bermuda. Yeah, Joe, he said prefer bent or Bermuda. I haven't played enough bent to know. I've always heard, like, perfectly manicured uh, bent greens are, like, the greatest ones to put on, and I'll take people's word for it on that. But I just don't remember a whole lot of it. I just remember playing a wet Azalea's course at Dancing Rabbit and having a four-iron suck back on me. So, like, it's definitely different. Like, it's way different in terms of hitting in the greens and putting. I didn't remember disliking. I mean, obviously, don't dislike Bermuda. That's pretty much all you play down here. But uh, I don't have enough experience on bent grass screens to say I'd prefer it. I'd just be blowing smoke up your ass, to be <laughs> to be completely honest. So I'll, uh, I'll go say Bermuda just because I don't have experience. And then the last We had one, bent at the club uh, that I grew up on. And oh, really? it, it is much better. But it, it was just so hard for them to maintain. And so during the summer, they would keep them uh, – they would have to keep them so soft. And it just – I'd prefer – they have harder, those little fans? Yeah, the, on every hole. Those, yeah, they, they weren't they little. Had, they were at, huge fans, but yeah. Yeah. They were the, kind uh, of distracting even because they they would be not behind every hole, obviously, because the holes move, but they were behind every green. And so you'd look up and you'd have a really nice-looking hole with, like, good trees in the background and stuff and then just this big-ass fan blowing wind on it. Or when you uh, or when you sail one over short of a green and you hit it and it just clanks you sideways, that's always a bummer. I had that happen to me once or twice. Uh, I actually had a wild story about a junior tournament one time at uh, Dancing Rabbit. I was staying – I may have told this before, but I was staying in Meridian and forgot my uh, with my aunt. It was about a 45-minute drive, and my granddad used to take me to these things. And he decided between day one and day two of the tournament, he was going to uh, take the clubs out of the trunk and put them in the living room, uh, unbeknownst to me. So we get to the course, and I get to warm up, and I don't have clubs and so I had my aunt had to like rush 45 minutes, like haul it ass down the highway to try to make it in my tea time. But she was like five minutes late. So I had to pick three clubs out of a utility bag in the pro shop to play the first hole with. Cause by the time the first hole finished, my clubs were there, but the three clubs that I used, I had to take those, out, like I had to take my normal clubs out and play with those three for the rest of the round. Plus like the other 11 in my bag. That was the ruling I got. So I had a random wow. driver, a random eight iron and a random putter. But the problem was, is I hit the driver down the middle and had to hit an 87 yard eight iron because I didn't measure the distance properly. Uh, so it was a, it was a, uh, that was probably the craziest ruling I've ever gotten on a golf course. But yeah, I had to play with those three clubs plus my regular bag the rest of the day. It was pretty nuts. I don't understand the logic behind that. Um, so in order to not incur a two stroke penalty, or maybe I got a two stroke penalty for like not being on time for the tee time. Cause I wasn't there with my clubs. Uh, I guess if you use the clubs in a round, you have to use them the rest of the round. So 
I, the lady could have just been lying to me. I have no idea. But that was uh, that's what I told the rules. The rules were so I had to take out my driver, take out my eight iron, and take out my putter and substitute the uh, random ones I got in the pro shop that I played the first hole with. Man, I guess that makes sense. But man, there are so, especially in youth golf, there were so many little things like that that people just could have used common sense and like you know. Uh, let you take your clubs when they arrived oh, just and played, and nobody would have really given a shit. There. Yeah, just let me hit the driver with my bags there. Just let me substitute it in. That was the other thing. I couldn't substitute it in until I finished the first hole. It, it, it was, See, it was, it was, just, that's just so that, that is for some reason. I, man, I am so not looking forward to my kid in youth sports because of shit like that. Like, just use your brains, people. Come on. It, it's, it's youth golf. Let him use his freaking clubs when they arrive. Like, come on. It was out of his control. I, I hate people so much. I'm not looking forward to that. I'm going to be just like my dad. The, the older I get, the more like him I become, and that terrifies me. But um, every sport I played, he never like stood with the parents. He was always in a spot where like I could look at him, like see him right away, and it was like, like in soccer, it was all the way down, like by the corner, or in football, like I, I could look up into our stadium, like and over to the left, and he was like kind of just back left away from all the people he hated like sports parents because they were obnoxious and like seven-year-old baseball and they're yelling at little timmy and getting mad when somebody strikes out and shit he couldn't handle that so he just stood far away from everybody that's gonna be me too like i'm gonna be somewhere where james can see me and i can see him and like we can engage and he knows that i'm watching but i'm not yucking it up with all those dumbass parents because i would lose my mind if i had to deal with those people I think the moral of this story is just to make sure your golf clubs are in your car. But, uh, but it made for but again, it made for even a if hell, they're not, hell of a story just, after. <laughs> then, but, like, God, imagine being those people that are like, oh, I sure told that kid. Like, screw you. <laughs> Get over yourself. And the problem was, I got, then I just became a head case. So I was like, what if I putt better with this crappy putter I just selected than my normal one? Like, I don't know. It was a, uh, it, it was insane. But, uh, yeah, that's the moral of that story is make sure you have your clubs before you go take a drive into a tournament, even though I had no reason to take them out. But uh, made for a hell of a story. I skipped Todd's question last week just because I always end up just skipping one or two by accident. But it was a pretty good one. So let me get to it real quick before we get to this Craig interview. Uh, would you rather see Jack play with today's technology or Tiger playing with vintage clubs? Jack today. Yeah, I think so too, but I'm not 100% positive why. I think it's simply because it was harder to hit those clubs back then, which makes you appreciate like how good the players were, but I'd rather see really how good Jack would be with all the advantages that today's players have. Yeah. I think I'd rather see it too cuz that's like that's solving more of the debate. Seeing Tiger play with like Persimmons isn't really like like solving some sort of debate but pete jack with that technology i think that's why that's the right answer yeah people underestimate uh jack nicholas's like athleticism go look at some of those old swings man he he was he was not just some old fart playing golf and he was just more skilled than everybody else like he, he was at an athlete in his own right yeah i wonder how far he'd hit the ball in his prime with that type of swing because you had to put a move on it to get the ball out there back then I mean, even them past their prime, like Tom Watson contending at a British Open at 59 or whatever he was with modern technology. Like, I wonder what prime Tom Watson would have done with an epic in the 70s. 
off the tee. Jack Nicholas uh, averaged 264 off the tee in the 70s using persimmon wood. By comparison, Bryson DeChambeau leads the tour in driving distance at 321 this year. Yeah. 321. That's insanity. Um, but, yeah. So, that's uh, that was all the mailbag questions we had for today. Let's get to this Greg interview, and then we'll finish up with some baseball and basketball. Whoa, uh, wait a minute. Talk. Uh, sorry about my little guy back here. Um, apparently, Jack Nicholas had a 341-yard drive in the long drive competition in 1963. Wow. Uh, three four, with 1963? That's what this says. Um, apparently, he drove the green on a 330-yard par-4 at the Athens Country Club um, when he was 18. Um, hmm. This is interesting. I might send you this link. This is just about like uh, long hitters back in the day versus now. Jack Nick or Davis Love the third in 1986. He was 22 years old, averaged 285 yards per drive. 20 years later, at 52. He uh, averaged 13 more yards than that. So he was a 300-yard hitter uh, 20 years later with the new technology. At 52, he hit a 400-yard drive on tour. Good God. So the technology uh, has—it's more than you even think about. Yeah, that submits it for me. That is definitely the right answer. I'd rather see Pete Jack play with this type of technology. That's uh, That's pretty wild. Um. Damn. So anyway, let's get to this Greg interview real quick, and then we'll come back for some baseball and uh, hoops talk. So here's Greg. We hatched a plan on how we're going to buy a horse as a podcast. He gave you four UFC picks that I'm not going to spoil, and he told you uh, a lock in horse racing every single time. So without further ado, here is LB's Greg. All right, we now welcome back the triumphant return of Greg the Meat Sharp. It's been a while. Uh, no live sports has been kind of a bummer, but uh, we've got, I think, a pretty small UFC card this weekend because once I started looking at it, I didn't know any of the names, not that I would even if it were a big one. But uh, what's up, man? Oh, nothing, man. Just, uh, uh, you know, grinding it out up here at LB's every day. So, yeah, just another another Friday and uh, getting ready for the weekend. How is, uh, how's everything been going? Like, I keep reading about, like, meat shortages and all that. What is, uh, like, kind of give us a fill-in on that. Is that affecting you at all? Um, no, not at all. I mean, we do a totally different product from any Kroger's or Walmart's. You know, Kroger and Walmart get a mass-produced product from a Smithville or Swift. So um, we don't get anything like that. We get, you know, free-range chicken products from Joyce Farms and Winston-Salem. We get comfy pork, which is the prime pork, uh, free-range Duroc pork. Um, you know, and our beef is from the Upper Iowa Beef Company in Sulphur Springs, Iowa. So they only deal with prime and uh, prime products. So, um, yes, I mean, you know, you're going to see some meat shortages in Kroger's and Walmart's just because, you know, that's uh, uh, whenever USDA lowered standards on the beef because of uh, the population of the of the United States and around the world, uh, they just lowered the standards. So it's just a certified beef product, you know. So it's really not the best, uh, but it's a product, but, uh, when you come to LB's, you know, you come and get the best uh, that's out there, and that's what we have. You got any deals going on right now that you want to kind of plug? Other well, than we, still got the, we still got the Lane Train special. Um, 
which is a bacon wrap, uh, five to six ounce filet for ten bucks. Uh, a lot of our, uh, all our stuff in the freezer is going to be two dollars off. So uh, we just uh, um, have a lot of people coming in and stocking up their freezers. Maybe it's at the lake house or the um, you know vacation home or just regular your regular home in Oxford. So uh, got plenty of pork chop stuff, pork chops over there. Got regular pork chops. All our fresh fish comes in fresh. We vacuum seal it and freeze it after the third day, so you can get two dollars off on fish in the freezer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's uh, there's no meat shortage around here. We're just trying to keep it stocked up. Uh, I lost a couple employees due to the, you know, kids not coming back. But we're up here grinding away, and uh, you know, we can get you taken care of. Just you know, give us time. Yeah, so as I've mentioned like 40 times throughout the week on this podcast already, you helped me out last weekend. You scored me some serious brownie points. My girlfriend's dad is obsessed with uh, his sous vide, which I didn't even really know what that was until last weekend, but now I feel pretty confident I could do it. But I went in there and grabbed a couple of tri-tips and some sausage, and it was absolutely fantastic. But, of course, I walked in there just like a complete and total dipshit, not what was going on, and I asked... Uh, I forget who who helped me before you came out, but I was like, "What would be good to sous vide? Why would why the tri tip?" Yeah, the tri tip's good. It's just you know, uh, it's basically like a uh, uh, a trim sirloin or a piece off the sirloin. So it's a real lean piece of meat, and it goes good for the sous vide because all you got to do is basically kind of char it on each side after you sous vide it. Uh, but yeah, the sous vide makes makes life really easy. I have a lot of customers that come in and you know want me to vacuum seal it up because they don't have a vacuum sealer at their house so we uh just vacuum seal it up throw it in a pot of water throw the sous vide on a particular temperature and just you know go about doing your business uh uh as you are and then uh come back to it and then just take it out of the bag and throw it on the uh grill for you know and chart for a little bit or the cast iron skillet just steer it on each side for a little bit but yeah it's perfect that's what was crazy to me was he was explaining like so you could do that you can vacuum seal it and then actually throw it back in the freezer and it'd be good to go once you sear it again and thaw it out is that right yep. yeah that's insane i mean you me. know that 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 book that that beef is being cooked at that uh what that water temperature is at so i mean i have a lot of people that just throw it in there for you know four three four five hours because you know, it's not being overcooked. It's not being overcooked. It's being cooked at that exact same t- at that uh, temperature that you set the sous vide on. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it makes life really, really easy for sure. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I uh, I owe you one on that one because I made it look like I was some kind of like grilling savant. And I was like, yeah, I I picked this out myself. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so no live sports going on. What have uh have you been hitting the horse racing? Have you dabbled in UFC at all? What's been going on 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 the uh on the sharp side of things? Yeah, man, I, I love it, uh, watching horse racing, and you know that's uh one of the sports that has uh, benefited from uh, this whole thing uh, is horse racing. Uh, I know that they uh, Tampa Bay Downs and Gulfstream they just extended out the meet for another month, so because there's still uh, there's a lot of like uh, Saratoga and New York and uh, Aqueduct, they're still closed down. So uh, there's a lot of horses that, you know, uh, don't have tracks to run on. So uh, Tampa Bay Downs and Gulfstream send it out uh, uh, for another month. So, um, yeah, man, horses racing is awesome. Uh, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of numbers and a lot of breaking down uh, that goes to it. But, you know, there's some... Um, horse uh, horse handicappers that can stand 
and watch the horse parade and literally how the horse walks or how he carries his head or anything, and he can literally pick out and be like, hey, that's our horse right there. I mean, that's the uh, – and, to, you know, I'm trying to get better on that, but – um, but yeah, horse racing is uh, really fun to bet on. Uh, it's very easy. You can down the, download the TVG app. Um, what you know, they have every track. All you do is click on it, and then uh, they you know give you every horse that's racing, and then you click on the horse, and it gives you its last four results and everything. So, but yeah, um, on handicapping horses, it's, it's uh, you know uh, it's almost like a drop grade. You know, you look at the last four races. If he had a bad race but had three really good races, you just throw that out there and just let it ride. So it might have been sloppy track. It might have been, um, you know, he might have got rattled at the gate, might have had a bad jump. But um, there's a lot of things that go on with the horse racing. But, uh, you know, you also like to follow the jockey. You know, you're, uh, if you if you bet on bet on the jockey, you know, you got a pretty decent horse because there's not going to be a, a a really good jockey that doesn't going get that doesn't get on a horse that doesn't think that he's going to get on the board. So, but yeah, uh, horse racing is fun. Uh, just I kind of tricked one of my buddies into watching one of the races, and he ended up handicapping the whole race, and it was uh, Los Alamos, which is uh, the first. The first three races are like three and a half furlongs, which is not far at all. And then the last like four races are 300 yard sprints. So oh, wow. he literally downloaded the app, you know, handicapped it, and he's like, he's like, all right, man. He's like, I like the four and the six. So we bet on the four and the six. You know, he gets up there and they get out there. They open up the gate and the horses just take off. I mean, like running like, you know, they stole something. And literally, it, uh, he was like, wait, why are they going so fast? And, you know, about 12 seconds later, the race is over. And he goes, we just bet on a 300-yard sprint. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that ever again. So uh, so he, I kind of I tricked him into it. But, uh, you know, it's just fun to do. I mean, you, you, you crunch some numbers, and then you turn around and uh, put in your number, and you watch the race. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it's, it's fun. It's, it's enjoyable. Do you think it's going to be weird betting on live team sports again? Because it's been quite a while at this point. Like, you didn't get March Madness. Like, I know, like, NBA is not that popular to throw action on. But, like, you didn't get the playoffs, no baseball. Like, like it's. I feel like it's going to feel weird in the fall again when football gets going, which, thank God, it sounds like it is. But, like, I guess it'll just seem like it's been a minute. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know everybody's been missing sports, and we've kind of been – um, you know, out of out of whack without the sports, you know, because uh, as of right now, you know, this would be uh, Super Regionals this weekend for college baseball. I know. It's crazy. Is that, is that right? Or the Regionals Regional. last, last weekend and then Super Regional this week. I, you know, it's just uh, everything's jumbled up. You know, like I said, when you miss, everybody gets their uh, sports honing in on is whenever March Madness goes on and then you got the Masters. And then you got baseball kicking in, and then, you know, uh, so, yeah, we haven't had that, so we're kind of off whack. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be weird, but, uh, you know, we're going to get through this. I mean, you know, just uh, take care of yourself and wash your hands and, you know, and abide by the rules, and, you know, we'll be, we'll be out of it. You know, it's just, it's just a weird situation. Absolutely. If you get baseball or basketball back, like with no fans, are you going to be desperate enough to maybe kind of throw some action on that? Or are you going to hold out till football? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I know the Bundesliga just started back, and it's kind of weird with no fans because you can hear the players talking, and you can hear the guys on the bench, you know, bench and the coaches, you know, talking. So it's a totally different, um, totally different atmosphere. All right, before you get out of here, I don't know any of these UFC cards. Are you into UFC at all? Um, I actually, I mean, uh, I, I back in the day, you know, when it was like Chuck Liddell and you know that yeah. sort of thing. But I've kind of literally, you know, lost track because you know there's been there's so many fights now and there's so many like shows and this guy's up and coming and you got Greg Hardy. I mean, it's just you're like. <laughs> Uh man, uh, uh, USC is uh, you know kind of overwhelming right now, but but uh, but yeah, I, I took I'll take a stab at it. Uh, I did some research, so I'm definitely not going to go into this blind thing. Oh, and one more thing on the horses: you can handicap a race, you can throw out you know the bad race for a horse, but if there is a gray horse running, I am betting on the gray horse. That is my that is my that is my go-to: the gray horse. Is, is that scientific, or is that just something you've discovered? I just, I mean, you know, like, uh, I, I just like, a, uh, I like, great, well, the, uh, there's a great horse that's running in the Kentucky Derby, well, whenever they have a Kentucky Derby, called Governor Morris, and it's just, it's a great horse, I like great horses, so uh, if I ever bought a, uh, a racehorse, which racehorses are expensive, uh, I want a great horse, and I want to call it uh, on a Greyhound bus. And then either that, and I'm going to get another horse, and I'm going to call it Cecil Fielder. How do you like that name? I like that a lot. That's pretty uh, – sounds like you put some thought into this. How do you get into, like, the buying horses game? Like, is that something – Well, where- I mean, you know, it's a, it's a really a uh, – uh, you know, it's a uh, – well, I mean, you can go to the Keeneland sale, uh, the Keeneland yearling sale, and there's probably going to be about 25, 30 sheiks there buying horses and like there's a sheik the saudi arabian uh king has been trying to win the kentucky derby for the last like 25 years and he has sunk almost i don't know millions and millions into it you know that uh a kingland year and like a cheap one you could probably get a cheap one for seventy five thousand dollars the you know the higher end like justified was the last uh triple crown winner his um his falls just came out, so they're going to probably go. You could probably get one of Justify's fouls for probably, I'd say, three seventy-five, four hundred thousand, maybe three hundred thousand. So that's seems- and that's just you're just buying the horse on its pedigree. You're not. I mean, it. It. it I mean, it hadn't ran one race. It hasn't trained one, one, one thing around the track. You're literally just buying that horse on its pedigree. So. And so that's kind of a. Uh, roll of the dice so there's you know there's some that turn out and there's some that doesn't you know like run happy cost a hundred and seventy five thousand and he ended up winning over a million and a half and in, in earnings and his first two uh files uh says for like three hundred fifty thousand dollars and he wasn't even a triple crown winner or you know a derby winner so um but yes it's extremely expensive just to House it and train it is uh, is ten thousand dollars a month. So it sounds like what needs to happen here is we need to uh, whatever you tell us to go on this UFC, 
myself and the collective listenership will pull together the winnings, and then we'll all, as a podcast and as a meat market, yeah, go in on a horse, horse together. Exactly. And so, <laughs> and so we'll go in on a horse together and then make money off that and then never really have to work again. Seems pretty bulletproof. Yeah. I mean, you know, and there's also, you can go to um, Hot Springs uh, in Oakland, and they've got uh, what is called a claiming race. So the, uh, all those horses that are in the race are claimers. So you can you can buy that horse for, a, you know, a particular fee. So, um, But, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there's so many races that go on. Like, say, for example, like there's a horse that ran in a $50,000 allowance and then, you know, he got ran ran out of there, and then he dropped, he did a class drop to a $30,000 allowance. I mean, he's going to probably be a favorite, but it's just hard to get that horse on the right track. So whenever you get this first maiden, then, you, you know, you can go from there. So it, uh, horse racing is crazy, man. I, uh, it, I, I enjoy it, um, you know, as much as I miss baseball and football, but as soon as I get home, I literally turn on the TVG on my television and, you know, start playing the numbers. So. so the first step of us birthing a podcast meat market horse is we've got to win money this weekend. So uh, it, let's just start with, I'll pick like three undercards here. All uh, right, I'm ready for them. I don't know any of these dudes, but we're going to figure this out. All right, here we go. Augusto Saki against Biagov Ivanov. I don't, there's zero shot I pronounced either one of those. Well, you would think that you would start out with two names that you could pronounce, Ruby. Come on. Yeah, that Uh, is is true, but uh, like uh, one fifth, they're each, they're even, like they're both minus 115, so pretty even fight here. Uh, I'm not, uh, I couldn't hear the first name, but I I like the first name. How about that? All right, so that's Augusto Saki. Yeah, I like Saki. All right, that, that sounds like a winner. The, Let's see, another undercard. Here's one I can pronounce without a doubt. Brandon Royval and Tim Elliott. Brandon Royval is plus 135. Tim Elliott is minus 170. Uh, I like Royval. His, uh, his ground game's a little bit better. Elliott uh, likes to put himself in bad spots sometimes. So, um, yes, uh, Elliott has some knockout power, but uh, I think uh, I like the Royval. I like it. Okay, so we're going underdog there. And then 930, Brock Weaver against Roosevelt Roberts. Roosevelt Roberts, that's a hell of a name. He is a, yeah, he's a stud. He's he is the heavy package, favorite. And there's a reason why he's minus 425. Am I correct? Yeah, he's like, so he's gone down to 380, but still, at least on the one I have, but at least sizable favorite here. So would it be better yeah. to go over under two and a half rounds? Uh, how about let's go under? Uh, yeah, that, that juice is a little too large for me to throw down on on a uh, matchup like that. So uh, we'll we'll get uh we'll, we'll, let's I'll say Roosevelt takes care of business in two rounds for sure. All right, we'll do one more undercard and then get to the uh, the main one. K Abreu. They didn't even put his full name here, unless his name is K. Period, which I doubt. And then against uh, Jamathal Hill, Jamahal Hill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, Hill is undefeated and is kind of green on the uh, Brazilian jitsu. So, uh, he likes to stand up and, you know, so if this fight, uh, if he can keep this fight standing up, which I don't think he will, but it's because the other guy likes to, uh, you, just, you know, it's, you just got to pick your poison on stuff like this. I mean, this guy is undefeated and, you know, uh, doesn't have really good ground game, but 
has knockout power. So, um, I don't know. I think uh, I would take the over in the fight, and I'm going to take the, uh, the underdog. Okay. And then finally, the main draw of the night is Gilbert Burns and Tyron Woodley. Uh, Gil- um, I mean, Burns so, is plus uh, Woodley kind of got embarrassed his last fight against uh, – yeah, he's the champion. The uh, he's he's serious too, um, and kind of got embarrassed, and that was his first really big fight. And so this is uh, a step up for Burns in this fight, and kind of a kind of like a rebring back form for Woodley. I like Woodley in the fight, but I definitely would take the over. I don't see anybody uh, swinging for the fences here uh, on this main card, so. Um, I would take the over, and uh, I would take Woodley. Fair enough. You heard it here. So we've got that down. I've got them written down, and we are now four steps closer to collectively buying a horse. So this plan is taking shape. Yeah, we need to start up a GoFund. <laughs> well, we may not need it if all these cash, depending on uh, how how oh, he- Lord, how yeah. heavy hitters the listeners are. But we <laughs> we'll see how yeah, it goes. I can't, I can't wait for the tweet that says. I bet on a gray horse, and it came in last. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> well, I mean, if your your track record in football is pretty strong, so they can't give you too much of a hard time. And if it hits, you'll just further your legend. So it seems like a win-win either way. But, Greg, I appreciate it. Uh, go check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You're all well-versed, and you know LB's where it is at this point. Greg, we appreciate it. We'll uh, keep up with these results, and I'll call you next week about purchasing this horse. All right, sounds good. We'll get on it. Thanks, dude. That was great. I appreciate it. All right, man. Be good. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You too. And that was Greg. We appreciate him coming on. As always, go check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. As I mentioned earlier this week, he hooked me up last weekend. Absolutely delicious tri-tip sous vide with some sausage. He's got all kinds of good stuff over there. Go check him out. Um, but anyway, hopefully we'll have him on for some actual like team sports and stuff sooner than later with you know football and everything else coming back. Maybe... Uh, some baseball here soon if they can figure that out, which is a nice segue. Uh, baseball is running out of time. It is now Friday morning. They don't have a deal done to come back and play. They seem incredibly far apart on the labor dis- and on the uh, money dispute. And uh, the owners basically uh, basically sit, put in an offer so insulting that the players don't want to counter it and didn't counter it. They basically just submitted or planning to submit an offer with no uh, further pay reductions. And I've been cautiously optimistic this entire time about them solving it and uh, figuring out and playing. But I'm, that optimism is beginning to fade because, like I said, time is of the essence here. And uh, they're, not, they're not behaving like it. They're not operating and uh, they're not negotiating in good faith, which is, uh, which is disheartening to see. Because if this actually happens, baseball's screwed. So did what Scherzer said change the way you think about the – the immediate future of baseball this year. So for those of you that don't know, here's Max Scherzer's statements. It's after he said, after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of prorated salaries, and there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint 
and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were here to become public. No, I've been on the player side this whole time. Like maybe should they take a little bit of an additional cut because there are no fans in the stands, but if they don't want to take a cut and they already agreed to a deal, I, that that's, that's the owner's problem. Like everyone keeps saying the players are going to take the blame here. And maybe that's right. But if you're average, like, like is the average American or average baseball fan really that stupid? Because I don't see how you could know anything about this situation and not side with the players other than, you know, guy who texts into our radio show and just goes, bunch of prima donna millionaires. Like, well, you're siding with prima donna billionaires at that point. Like, I just don't see how if you know anything about this situation, you could side against the players here. I don't get it. Well, here's the thing. Most people won't know much about the situation. But you don't even have to know hardly anything, just basics. Yeah. I saw, oh gosh, I forget who it was. Um, I think it was Pat McAfee, actually, that said um, the players are going to deal with the most of this because you simply just, you know who they are. And if they're not playing, you know who's not playing. You don't know who the owners are. In fact, apparently Jeff Passan said yesterday some of the owners are, I mean, fine with no season. They'd actually prefer to not have one. Which is is mind blowing, but uh, that's where it's coming from. Is is quite simply, and I agree with. I think it was Pat uh, who said it's only because you know who they are, and that's why they're going to deal with the brunt of this because you know who Mike Trout is, and if Mike Trout isn't playing, you blame Mike Trout for not playing, and it's it's not right because they've already agreed to a prorated salary, but if the product doesn't get on the field, that's all people are going to care about. And the, the diehard baseball fans going to know this and they're not going anywhere. It's more of the, the casual fan that they could have gotten during this, that will be more outspokenly negative towards them. Yeah. And it's a damn shame because the owners have all the leverage here and the players are going to end up carrying the brunt of the blame or so I'm told. I'm just like with social media and all the new, like the new, like the, I guess the other avenues and ways to consume information. Maybe this is different and your average fan is smarter. I know it's definitely the case in just in general, the average fan is smarter than they were a decade or so ago. It just like, it's just true. So I wonder with all of that being the case, if, uh, if I, I've got something going on in the studio here that's pretty nuts, I wish it would. Sounds Can like dial-up internet right now. Yeah, good lord, it's like someone trying. Anyway, just unplug that. <laughs> so, the, uh, anyway, what I lost the hell my was that? <laughs> So that's what that's was the sound. That? So that's the sound that, like, when you call me and you connect me before the radio show, that's the sound it makes for a little bit, like in the headphones. And that was in, through the headphones, that was the noise it was making. I don't know why it was connecting right now. That doesn't make any sense. But uh, yeah, that I don't that that's the sound it makes. It's like, it's like a robot orgasm. Like, I don't understand it. it it's weird. But yeah, so that that was going on. I just completely lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Um, the owners versus the players and how you think that uh, fans are more educated now, or at least they have more access yes, they, to information than they, so, we're having all kinds of technical difficulties this morning. Um, like your average fan is more educated. Like I, I someone did a podcast this on a while back, and I couldn't agree more because there's just more ways to be able to consume information, and the average fan knows more about the sport than just reading the box scores or reading the newspaper story on what happened and you know the next morning. So I wonder if that's going to be different because I he, keep hearing the players are going to get the brunt of the blame, and they're I, I do think they're going to lose fans if if they don't actually play. And this is actually just like 
this actually falls through because of money. I agree with that part. But are the players really going to share the point of the blame? Because to me, the owners look like assholes. And I don't think it takes too much information on this subject or too much knowledge on this subject to ha- to gather that viewpoint just from basic information. So because the f- average sports fan has become smarter in the last decade, is this narrative that the players are going to take the brunt of the blame overplayed? Because I'm tending to think yes. Uh, I think it's probably going to simply be both. Uh, I saw... I think it was Mina Kimes um, say talk about who's going to win the PR battle. But the thing is, if the season doesn't go on, they all lose. And so it doesn't I guess it doesn't really matter uh, who gets more of the blame. But if they don't put the season on, they all lose. And it sucks for everybody involved. And they're all going to look bad, whether it's fair or not, because they won't be playing. And the NBA is going to play and Major League Soccer is going to play and everybody's going to be playing except for baseball. And the reason they're not playing is not because of some outbreak or something like that. It would simply be because of a wage dispute. So everybody else is going to figure out how to get this done in this weird year, except for you because of money screw off. And so I I think we might be spending too much time on who's going to, you know, lose or win the PR battle because nobody wins a PR battle. If you don't put a season on well, yeah, and like a different way of saying that is who cares who wins the PR battle of no season because you all look like shit. Yeah. Like you all look terrible. I agree with that completely. And it's crazy. Like England and like from everything I've read, like Europe's had this worse, this outbreak worse. Yes. Than the United States has. And the EPL is coming back June 17th. American sports leagues in general just seem to be disorganized and dragging their feet. And I was always given the benefit of the doubt to both leagues both leagues being the NBA and the MLB just because like, Hey, this is no one's ever dealt with this before. This is super complicated. Uh, like, you know, whatever, like this is hard. I'm not going to be the guy saying and complaining constantly when I couldn't do a better job myself, but you have two soccer major world soccer leagues, one already back and one coming back months. And now a full month before MLB or the uh, NBA is coming back. Why is that? The NBA especially is mind-blowing that they're considering starting in August. I, I don't understand what's taking you so long. What is, it's been 80 days. It was 74 days on Sunday. So not a math guy, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So 80 days tomorrow since the last NBA game was played. And you still don't even have a concrete plan yet. I, I, I don't get how... League owners and players are okay with their current situation because, as you mentioned, Germany and La Liga is coming back and Korea is playing baseball and all these other countries who were hit really hard. Oh, my mic stand just fell. Um, all these countries this has that been were the hit. morning from hell logistically. But cont- yeah, but we're, we're powering through. Yeah, I'm, ho- this is I'm a holding struggle. it like I'm uh, like I'm a uh, singing in a concert right now. This is wild. Um, I was tell him tra- about it, buddy. Tell him about it. <laughs> I was. Uh, I was 20 minutes late recording with Greg because they're redoing that studio over there, and everything was turned around. I didn't know. I, I had to set up all the equipment again. It's been a disaster. But continue. Um, I don't even remember what I was saying uh, because just all this happened. Um. Oh, yeah, all these countries are, are, are coming back that were hit harder. It, it's just I can't believe the league owners and players are accepting of the process that they've gone through right now. 
Uh, I would be way out on Adam Silver if I were them because every day that they they drag this out, the more money that they lose. I agree, and we kind of went off topic there for a second, but it doesn't really matter. But like circle honing it back into baseball, I just find that narrative overrated. Like I just. Like the I, like, I'm a baseball fan, but I am not like there. I would say I'm more than an average baseball fan, obviously, but I'm not like a baseball geek either. And like, I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle ground. And so, like, I know that, like, I don't know. I feel like there's way more people like me that can look at this situation rationally and be like, why the hell would you blame the players? Like, I just, I, I think that narrative's overblown. If they don't play, it's going to be an indictment on the sport as a whole. They're going to lose fans. It's going to be worse than the strike of 1994. There's going to be fans that don't come back. But are they not coming back because they don't like the players and they're mad at them? I don't, I don't get that aspect of it at all. There will be some, but uh, the more you describe it, the more um, I think you might be right. It, it'll just be an indictment on the sport overall. The fact that millionaires and billionaires couldn't come to an agreement to play in a shortened season when everybody else has found a way, is just going to be a really bad look on the sport. Um, but casting blame on the players is a really stupid thing to do now because they did agree upon a reasonable thing. It's not like the players... It, Blake Snell's message aside, because that was incredibly stupid... It's not like the players have asked for something unreasonable. I mean, they've asked for a prorated salary. That's extremely fair. Although the revenues are not going to be typical for what half a season would be, that is still extremely fair to be asking for, and the owners are now operating in bad faith with their latest proposal. So um, you can't side with anybody but the players at this point because they've been reasonable, aside from Blake Snell, uh, agreed to something reasonable, and now they're being given the runaround. Yeah, and they're uh, the owners are negotiating in bad faith. When Richard Richard started out the example twice on radio of like the owners' offer being like throw a million dollar house, throwing down an offer for five hundred thousand to see what happens. But to me, that's in better faith than this. I think that when you have two sides like this, I think you're just insulting the players with an offer like that. And we went over it on Wednesday's show. I don't want to rehash the numbers again because not a math guy, but like it's ridiculous. Like you're you're not operating in good faith with an offer like that. And it sucks because the player's not wanting to counter. It doesn't really warrant a counter, but you kind of need to have one so you can get this figured out and you can play. I don't know what the solution is here. I don't know if they're going to arrive at one, but if you don't, everyone fails. So it's almost like the owners are – basically, they do this all the time. They basically strangle the life out of baseball, and they ask you know the fans or the players to save it, and they continue to do it over and over again. And I just wonder if one time if it might bite them in the ass. I don't know how. Probably not because they kind of run the whole show, but – it's just a crappy situation. The business of baseball sucks. If Passon's telling the truth and some of the owners don't even want a season, uh, I mean, th then it's over, right? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, unless the players agree to this kind of ridiculously, this ridiculous proposal. And they're not going to do that. And I, I wouldn't blame them for doing that. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm beginning to lose my optimism for baseball. I think that's about... Uh, but anyway, I hope I'm wrong. I hope they get something done. But, man, the, this, this cautious optimism is definitely fading to pessimism uh, pretty quickly. I hope they figure it out. But at the beginning of the week, I thought they would. Now I'm not really feeling it as much. But anyway, I think that's about all we had today. We, I mean, the Fabian Lovett thing, like I, what would he tweeted a graphic? Is that No, he didn't tweet a graphic, but there is one floating around. I've, I 
had one sent to me by a couple of people and so i don't know i don't even know if it's been made by like the old miss graphics department or not it certainly looks like it but it, it it's the same thing that happened with uh with jerry and jones the it's basically the same graphic it came out a few days before his announcement he announced using it and so i mean the writing's on the wall it's probably where the kid's going to end up and and this would just be like another sign in that direction I was told last week that this is going to happen barring something unforeseen, but he was also going to enroll at FSU barring something unforeseen. So I guess the possibility is still out there. This seems a bit of a wild card here, but it sounds like that is uh, pretty much all but a formality at this point. But I guess we shall see. I don't really have a ton to add to that, uh, to be completely honest. No, it's just kind it's of mostly been all that. said. Uh, I mean, we could go dive down into the weeds about – uh, some some real ridiculousness in the takes around what this means, but you know it's not really our style. <laughs> so anyway, I think that's about all we had here today. So we learned that we are going to buy a horse as a podcast. So please bet a bunch of your own hard-earned cash on Greg's picks on these UFC this weekend. Whether you watch UFC or not, I promise he's going 4-0, and we're going to buy a horse. So if you'd like to dabble into horse racing, if you'd like to, uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty sick flex. Like, you go out to a bar, you see a girl, and she's like, yeah, I dabble in horse racing. I own horses. Like, probably a pretty good pickup line. I'm just saying. So go throw all of your money on on Greg's four picks. And when we go 4-0, we're going to pull all of it together. You can all just Venmo it to me, and then Greg and I will buy this horse. Uh, and then maybe we'll name the horse next week. I don't know what the name of this horse is going to be. But step one is this weekend with Greg going 4-0. But that ought to do it for Mailbag Friday unless you got Found a else. name for the horse. Secondary okay. violation. I like that. I like that. Maybe we could name the horse. Uh, no, that doesn't work because Joey Freshpotter got squashed that we wanted to change the podcast name to. We can't work that into a horse name, can we? And I, I like the justification violation. for that name getting shut down was nobody's going to take it seriously. Well, should they? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're catching a plan to buy a horse as a podcast. Like people, people, it comes with the territory. If you listen to this show for a while, like I don't know, Joey I mean, Fresh Thoroughbred, that doesn't really roll off the tongue. No, not at all. Um, yeah, we'll workshop it. Why I don't like we just secondary violation. Joey Freshwater. But, yeah, Joey Freshwater. That'll be the horse. So we'll take votes on the names next week. But first, we need to make a profit this weekend. So uh, please, someone write down Greg's pick so I don't have to. But I'll check them this weekend. We'll tune in on Monday's show, and we'll take the next step to becoming horse thoroughbred owners. But for Michael Borky and I'm Brian Scott Rippey, uh, we will catch you on Monday. All right, little buddy. Goodness gracious. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.